0: The Bible says God has loved us with an everlasting love. And aren't you thankful that nothing will ever separate you from his love? Isn't that a great thing to know that God loves you so much that he gave Jesus for you? Not just for the world, not just for me, not just for all of us, but he gave Jesus for you. That's how much he loves you. Now, next Sunday, we're going to resume our regular schedule Sunday school at eight o'clock, nine, ten, ten thirty. Worship at nine, ten, ten thirty, and we'll kick off the sermon series on loving God today. I want to preach a different message and delay that to next week again. And uh, you, you know, we live in a in a day and time that is really big on hyperbola. I mean, how much snow were we supposed to get? <laughs> we have all these uh, all these channels on the cable, and and they have to keep you watching, so. Uh, headlines. Headlines are always always promise more than they deliver, right? I mean, you read a headline and it sounds like, whoa, it's big. Then you read the story. Well, there wasn't much to that. We live in a day of hyperbole. We have celebrities who are famous simply for being famous. You could name them. I mean, what have the Kardashians ever done? Famous for being famous. I don't get it, but that's the day we live in. And think about sports. Super Bowl in about a month, and we'll celebrate the champion. But in today's culture, the team that loses is what? A loser. If you finish, I mean, you can be the second best in the world, and in our culture, you're considered a loser because only the one who wins, the top of the mountain is any good. Everybody else is a loser. And I think in ways that we don't always appreciate or understand that influences, how we view ourselves, how we view church, how we view life, and how young people view themselves. And so today I want to preach a message about an ordinary man, an ordinary man. Nothing spectacular stands out about him. He was an ordinary man. But in the eyes of God, he was an extraordinary man because he had some unique qualities. He had extraordinary qualities that God wants all of us to have. And and I'm talking about Isaac. Because let me ask you, as you, as you open your Bible to, to Genesis chapter 26, how many of you have ever compared yourself to someone else, compared your home to someone else, compared your job to someone compared some, and, and you always come up what? Yeah. We beat ourselves up because we're not extraordinary. We're not spectacular. We're not at the top of the heap. Well, Isaac Is one of the patriarchs, the four patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, the four founding fathers of the Jewish people, the Jewish nation. So he's the second one. He's Abraham's son, so he's one of the four. Okay? And Genesis chapter 12 to 50, so think about this, 39 chapters in the book of Genesis deal with those four patriarchs. How many of those chapters do you think is fully devoted to To Isaac. One. (laughs) Now would that give you an inferiority complex? I mean your dad, your son, and your grandson get all the rest. You've got one chapter out of 39 fully devoted to you. And yet Isaac lived longer than any of the other three. Less is said about him than the other three. We're told nothing about his last 40 years of life except he died and his sons buried him. He didn't do anything great like Abraham or Joseph down in Egypt, but neither did he do anything terrible and so underhanded like his son Jacob. He had uh, a bunch of what we would call small successes and some small sins. And he's the only one of the four who never traveled outside of Canaan, outside the promised land. I mean, when you tell stories about the patriarchs, there are all kinds of stories you tell about Abraham, all kinds of stories you tell about Jacob, all kinds of stories you tell about Joseph. What story do you tell about Isaac? Not much spectacular, not much uh, outstanding in the way we look at things today about Isaac. But having said that, Isaac lived in the will of God. And I don't know if there's anything more spectacular any human being can do than that. Live in the will of God, the plan of God for his life. Now, he was part of God's plan from the very beginning. Genesis 17, I've got it on the screen for you. Verse verse 19, when God is speaking to, uh, let's go to the next slide, guys. When God is speaking to, to Abraham, he said, Sarah, your wife was going to have a son. You'll name him Isaac. And it's through him that I'm going to establish my covenant. It's through him, it's through Isaac that I'll build this nation, create my people. So what I want you to see is from the very beginning, Isaac was part of God's plan. And in chapter 26, this one chapter that tells us about Isaac, we see examples of him obeying God. So if you have your Bible, look with me in chapter 26 starting at, at verse 1. We're told there's a famine. There had been a famine during Abraham's time and he had left and gone down to Egypt. Now there's years later there's a famine during Isaac's time. And he's thinking about going somewhere. But the Lord appeared to him in verse 2 and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land which I shall tell you. Verse 3, Sojourn in this land. Stay here and I will be with you. And I will bless you. And then verse 6 is a simple little verse. Verse 6, look at it. So Isaac lived in Gerar. In other words, there's famine Times are hard, food is sparse, hard to grow crops, no rain. Everybody goes to Egypt. God says, Isaac, don't do that. Stay here in this promised land that I brought your father Abraham to, that I have promised to you and your descendants. Stay here. Don't go to Egypt. Stay here. That simple little verse tells you everything you need to know about Isaac's heart. He stayed. is where he was, he stayed. He obeyed God. And one of the challenges you and I face in life is when life is beating on us. When life is hard, when it's challenging, when there's sickness, when there's struggles, and God says do this, but God, I don't want to do that. I'd rather do this because that seems to make my life easier or better. I want to do that. It's simply to obey what God says, whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation. That tells you about Isaac, the kind of man he was. He, he lived in. In the will of God. And God promised him blessings and that he would be with him. And later in chapter 26 we, we, we see that that happened. I want to show you just real quickly some examples. And then we're going to get to these extraordinary qualities about Isaac. But look in chapter 26 at verse 12. okay? Chapter 26 verse 12. said Isaac sold. He grew his crops in that land and he reaped in the same year a hundredfold. How would you like to make an investment and have it increase a hundredfold? I would call that great success, but it was the blessing of God. Verse 13, he became rich, continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. He possessed all those flocks, and it was so he was so wealthy and so blessed that the Philistines, what did they do? They envied him. And it wasn't because he accomplished anything great, because he had any significant talent. He simply did what God told him to do. And God said, I'm going to bless you. Now, I'm not saying God's going to make all of us, you know, increase our wealth a hundred times. But I am saying when you do what God says, you live in the will of God, God's going to bless you a hundredfold. It will come in a lot of different ways, maybe financially, but in other ways. God blesses those who are obedient. God blesses those who live in his will. And God was also with him later in chapter 26 at verses 23 and 24, you can see this year he went up from there to Beersheba. The Lord appeared to him that night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am what? With you. See, as you go through life, your greatest temptation is to forget that God is present. And when you begin forgetting the presence of God, you begin manipulating things to get the outcomes you want. You begin working your own plans rather than living in the plan of God for your life. And so Isaac was this simple man who said, God, I trust you. I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to live in your will. I know I'm part of your plan. You have a plan for my life. I'm going to obey what you tell me, God. Trust you. And God said, if you do that, I'm going to bless you and I will be with you. And while I'm blessing you and with you, guess what? You don't ever need to be afraid. some of the keys to a a good life. And those are available to all of us because, listen, you can know the presence of God. You can live in the presence of God. You can experience the blessings of God if you're willing to live in the will of God and do what God tells you. So here's Isaac now. Blessed of God, God with him, but still no great stories. He didn't do like Abraham and leave his homeland and move to a new land to become a new nation, the father of a new nation. He didn't do anything like that. He wasn't Joseph. He didn't become the second most powerful man in Egypt and save the nation. No big spectacular story about Isaac. And yet this ordinary man. This everyday, ordinary man who said, God, I trust you. I'm going to live in your will. Do what you tell me to do. God said, I'll be with you, and I'm going to bless you, and you don't have to be afraid. So what was it about Isaac, this ordinary dude, okay? You and me, ordinary people. What was it about Isaac that made him so extraordinary? What were these qualities? Well, there are four of them I want to point out real quickly in Isaac's story, okay? Okay. And I've already alluded to the first one. Isaac was a person of submission. He was a person who was willing to be submissive. In chapter 22 of Genesis, we have, uh, we have this famous story of Abraham. But people forget about Isaac. In chapter 22, verse 1, God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to test your faith. Take your son. Who's the son? Isaac. By the way, do you know how old Isaac was when this story happens? You look at all the little, you know, church books and Isaac's a little boy. Isaac was not a little boy. Isaac was at the youngest a teenager, at the oldest a young man. Because he carries the wood, a little five year old can't carry enough wood to, to burn and sacrifice an animal. So Isaac was not a little five year old or a six year old like you see in all your church books. He's a teenager. He's a young man. And, and Isaac is the son God had promised through whom he was going to build a new nation. And God says, Isaac, I w- uh, Abraham, I want you to take Isaac, go up to this place, and offer him There's a burnt offering in one of the mountains. Let's look at the next verses. So Abraham took wood for the burnt offering, and he laid it on whom? Church, who? Isaac, his son. And, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So Abraham, who's about 100 years old right now, is carrying the knife and the fire. And Isaac's carrying all the wood. And they walk together. And then they have a conversation. Let's look at the next slide. After the conversation, they came to the place. God had told Abraham to go to. He built the altar, arranged the wood, and bound his son Isaac, put him on top of the altar, and stood there with the knife in his hand, ready to sacrifice his only son. And we talk about the great faith of Abraham. Now, those of you who know the story know that When God saw that Abraham was willing to obey, he told him not to stop and provided an animal for the sacrifice. And we talk about the great faith of Abraham and his willingness to sacrifice the thing he loved most, if that's what God told him to do. But what about Isaac? Now, if you're a teenager, wave your hand at me, okay? you're a teenager, wave at me. All right. If you're 20 to 25, wave at me. How many of you would voluntarily climb up on an altar and allow your 100-year-old dad to raise his hand with a knife and... Does that tell us anything about Isaac and his trust, not only in his dad but God, about his submission, even if he didn't understand everything that God was up to? Isaac was a man of submission. And the stories in Scripture, who, who wrote the book of Genesis... Moses, generations later, Isaac told the story, repeated the story to his kids and grandkids, passed it down generation to generation, submitted, had faith, even if it was going to cost him. Now, Brothers and sisters, hear me. If you and I are going to be happy in life, okay, we want the blessings of God and we want to enjoy the presence of God, a couple of things. We've got to learn how to be submissive to God no matter what. As long as you're only submissive to God and what God's up to when you want to be, when it's convenient, when it's easy, when it doesn't cost you, you're not going to have the great blessings of God on your life and you're going to struggle to enjoy and experience consistently the, the presence of God in your life. A submissive spirit to the will of God, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But isn't it also true that in our family life, if we're going to have happy family life, happy relationships, we have to learn how to be submissive to one another? I mean, How how are you going to have a great marriage if each of you is always insisting on your way? How are you going to have a great relationship with your extended family if it's always got to be your way? if, If there's no submission? It's always just what you want. Submission's a big part of life because pride destroys human relationships. Pride destroys our relationship with God. It's what caused Satan to rebel against God in heaven in the very beginning, correct? Pride goes before what? The Bible says pride goes before what? A fall, destruction. So, so here's this ordinary guy, but he had this spirit, he had this ability to say, God, I will be submissive to you and submissive to his dad. He understood about the role of submission. It doesn't mean you always become you know, just a weakling in today's culture, but, but learning how to submit to one another and learning how to submit to God. But there's a second extraordinary quality about this very ordinary man. Not only was he submissive, but he was a person of prayer. He was a person of prayer. And there's two... There's two incidents in his life that really stand out to me, and one that's always blessed me every time I read it. Because you'll remember now, he's a, he's a man. Over in uh, Genesis chapter 24, he's a man. He's single. And his dad sends one of their servants back to the homeland where his dad had moved from, where his relatives' extended family still lived, to find for Isaac a wife. And the servant comes back to the promised land with this beautiful young woman named Rebecca, and she's riding on a camel. And we know from elsewhere in, in Genesis, she was, she was, today we'd say drop-dead gorgeous. She was beautiful. And uh, one evening, if you look in chapter 24, verses 63 and following, Isaac goes out into the field. To meditate now what is meditation? and I'm talking about what the Eastern cultures say what is biblical meditation? It's reflecting on what God has said. Meditation is taking the word of God, what God is saying reflecting on it, thinking about it, praying over it and how it applies to your life what are the implications for your life? So here's Isaac, he's out in the field and he's meditating on all the things he's heard from God. All those experiences in life and what's God trying to show him, do for, so he's out in this field meditating, he's praying, he's meditating. You can't meditate without prayer, they go together like a hand in glove. So he's out in the field in the evening meditating. And he looks up and he sees these camels coming and Rebecca. Rebecca. I love the image that the first time he saw his wife-to-be, he was out in the field meditating and praying. Do you know some of you who are single would do a much better job finding the person God has for you if you would date less and pray more? Ooh. ooh. Those of you who have gone through divorce recently, date less, pray more. Get yourself ready to receive the blessing of God instead of creating your own next problem. He was a man of prayer, and and he's praying about meditating about the, the important things of life. This is not just mundane stuff. Now, there's another example over in chapter 25, just one one example of him praying a specific prayer so after he and Rebecca become husband. And wife, in chapter 25, verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now, there are other examples, but I just want to point out real quickly two of them for you, that, that Isaac, this ordinary man, was a man of prayer. He was a man of prayer. Now, let me, let me ask you, how passionately do you pray for your family? And do you tend to wait until there's problems before you pray? Young parents, how many of you have children, say, age five and younger? Raise your hand. Children age five and younger, raise your hand. How many of you are already praying for their future mate? How many of you are already praying for your child to become the kind of person that will make a good mate in the future? How many of you are already praying for your child to come to faith in Jesus Christ? How many of you are already praying for your child to grow up and, and, and love Jesus, not just as Savior, but as Lord, as Master, and to live in His will for their lives? And as you pray about those things, all of a sudden God starts talking to you about you and what you need to do, what you need to change. See, he was a man of prayer. He prayed for his family. You need to pray for your family, you need to pray for the issues that your family addresses. But you also need to pray for lost people. We've been encouraging you to uh, go to to our church website, and there's a link there. You can sign up on pray for every home. And um, through a visual display, a map of your neighborhood, you can pray by name for all the neighbors around you. And there are prompts, suggestions for how to pray for your neighbors every day. You'll get an email with, I think, I I get them, four names, five names, five names, and uh, you pray for them. And once you pray for them, you just click a link on that email. And on the map, the color of the dot changes at their home. And and, and you can pray for your neighbors over and over and over. Check it out. Pray for every home. It's free. We've signed up as a church. It won't cost you anything. Great way to pray for people who live around you. See, so here's this ordinary man. Now, now, listen, you're never going to see a story in the newspaper or on television about somebody who's praying for their neighbors. But I guarantee you, if you're praying for your neighbors, the Father in heaven notices Grandparents praying for your grandchildren. He was a man of prayer. But there's another quality. This ordinary man was extraordinary because he was a person of love. He was not afraid to express his love, especially toward his family. You know, it's interesting. Genesis 22, that story about Abraham putting Isaac on that altar to sacrifice him and Isaac, the teenager or a young man going along with it? What does that tell you about the way he viewed his dad? Do you get the sense that this was some, you know, angry, rebellious teenager or angry, rebellious college student? Do you get that sense at all? You get just the opposite, don't you? But there's more to it than just, just that one story. Look in chapter 24 of Genesis when he and... Uh, Rebecca become husband and wife. Verse sixty seven. Isaac brought her into his mother's tent. Now, Sarah, Isaac's mother, Abraham's uh, Abraham's wife, had died, and so he brings her he brings her into his mother's tent, and he takes Rebecca, and she became his wife, and he loved her, and thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Now, there's two things in that verse that give you a sense of his heart. I I really like the way it simply says that uh, she, Rebecca, became his wife, and he what? He loved her. He just loved her. He just loved her. So simple, but so profound. He loved her. But you also see how attached he was to his mother. He's a mama's boy because he takes mama's house. And his relationship with his wife helped comfort his grieving heart over his mother's death. He's got this sensitive side to him. Loved his mama. And he loved his wife. He loved Rebecca. And there's, there's, there's no substitute to just loving the people in your life. Working at it. Cultivating it. fixing the things you do that hurt it. Saying loving them is a priority. And and, and I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to grow in my love for those in my life, especially my family. But there's another simple little scene that gives you a sense of of Isaac and Rebecca Over in chapter 26, um, verse 8, it came about when he had been there, uh, living with the uh, Philistines for a while, that Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, looked out his window, and what did he see? Isaac hugging Rebekah, a public display of affection. Guys, if, you, if you're married and your wife is sitting beside you, I want you to look at me, okay? You're married, your wife is sitting beside you. Some of you are wishing you'd sat differently when you came. Raise your hand. All right, put your hand up. The one that's next to her, the hand closest to her, not the opposite. Come on. Now put it around her. You have my permission to do that in church. Okay? I think that makes God smile. And the truth is there's nothing like human touch. Now some of us could bless our homes if we just learned to hug a little bit more. Okay? Well, they know I love them. No, they don't. You have to show them. You have to tell them. Touch them in an appropriate way. Hug them. Love on them. Now, I know some people aren't, aren't quite as touchy-feely. If you've got one of those, I understand that. You just, you know, do the best you can. But most of us like a hug every now and then. Right? And look, can I be honest, for some of you who are older, some of you were raised by a generation that uh, for whatever reason had been trained, you just don't show that stuff, right? I get that. But that was one thing about that generation that wasn't healthy. And can we agree on that? Love needs to be expressed both in words and in touch, in behavior, and in so many other ways, Isaac was a man who wasn't afraid to show the people in his life that he cared about them, that he loved them. It's expressed in forgiveness in patience and kindness and understanding and communication. So here's this ordinary man that God said, I'm with you and I'm going to bless you. And God blessed him so much. But I think part of it was because he was just a man that loved him. And I think he loved God. And he loved his family. He loved people. But here's the last thing. Extraordinary quality about this ordinary man. He was was a person of peace. He was a person of peace. In um, in chapter 25, 25, verses 8 and 9, Abraham dies. That's his dad. And then I love verse 9. Isaac and Ishmael, his half-brother, come together to bury him. And those of you who know your Bible history know that Ishmael and his descendants were a a thorn in the side of Isaac and his descendants to this very day, right? To this very day. And here they are standing side by side burying their dad. I I know people who can't even go to the family's funeral because they're so mad at somebody. They can't go to a wedding, they can't go to a baptism. Isaac shows you how to do it. Later in chapter 26, you see Isaac dealing with another conflict situation. This is not with a relative. In chapter 26, verse 15, his father Abraham had dug a bunch of wells so they could have water, but the Philistines filled them up with dirt. Verse 18, Isaac and his um, his uh, servants... Um, cleaned those wells out, 18 and 19, and and got the dirt out and there was water flowing. But in verse 20, the the herdsmen of Gerar, the people living around there, um, created conflict over those wells and said, it's our water, not yours. And so in verse 21, he digs another well and finds water, but they quarrel over that one. So he moves on in verse 22. He moved from there and he dug another well, found water, but they didn't quarrel over this one. And he named it Rehoboth. By the way, that's how all those Baptist churches get their name, Rehoboth Baptist Church. For he said, At last the Lord has made room for us, and we will be faithful, be fruitful in the land. So, you know what some of us want to do? Rather than compromise, rather than give, rather than find a way, we want to fight, 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 fight all the time, every time, every single time. And I'm not saying that in life there are never times to stand your ground, but I am saying if you're the kind of person that you're going to fight almost every time, you're going to push people away over the years of your life. And you have to decide which is more important to you, having your way every time or having people in your life. Which is more important? What do you think Jesus did on the cross? Peter comes to Jesus, Lord, how many times am I supposed to forgive? And what did he say? Seventy times seven, perfect number against perfect number. Just, that's just who we are as followers of God. Why? Because that's who, that's who God is. See, relationships are not easy. And there's going to be conflict. Learning how to handle it, how to deal with it, how to resolve it, how to move beyond it, It's just part of life. And so here's Isaac, this ordinary guy. We don't tell Bible stories about him because he didn't do anything big. Okay? You can have a whole semester of Sunday school lessons on Abraham, a whole semester of Sunday school lessons on Jacob, a whole semester of Sunday school lessons on on, uh, Joseph. You can't have a semester of Sunday school lessons on Isaac. There's just not enough material. But he was this man God blessed. In, in, in a great way because he had some of these extraordinary qualities. You see, forget what our culture says makes you a winner. For, forget what our culture wants to puff up and brag on and hold up as an example and just look at the kind of qualities that the God of heaven notices. Because I'll tell you something. If you, if you exhibit those qualities in your life when it comes to the day of your death, you're going to have family and friends at your funeral. And God will be at your funeral. And the angels will be at your funeral. When Isaac died, Jacob and Esau, and you remember his two boys didn't get along very well? Hmm? They, had a, they had a really big falling out, didn't they? Well, guess who's together at their daddy's funeral? Jacob and Esau. You have these kind of qualities in your life and you watch what God does. Be a person who's submissive to the will of God and learns how to submit to other people. Be a person who prays for your family and for the lost. For the kingdom of God. Be a a person with these extraordinary qualities like Isaac. A person who shows his love, her love. A person who Who works at peace. Watch God show up and do some amazing things as he blesses your life. Are these things always easy to do? No. Are they always worth doing? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because let me ask you, when the preacher stands at your funeral to preach, would you rather him say, she was always right, or he was really loved. Hmm? Which would you rather have? Let's stand.